Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. A race to save lives with reports that almost half of all confirmed COVID cases have been reported in the last two weeks. And as the health service reaches breaking point, there's disquiet over the vaccine rollout. On our first panel tonight, Finnegale TD Colin Burke and Aoife McLeisa, Professor of Genetics at Trinity College Dublin. And also INMO General Secretary Phil Hay joins us on Skype. Later, sorry, must be followed by restitution, say the survivors, after this week's publication of the Mother and Baby Homes report. And with a staggered return to schools for children with additional needs set for next week, we'll hear from one concerned parent. And what next for Leaving Cert students as the opposition calls for clarity? Get in touch via Twitter on the hashtag TonightVNTV. has said that almost half of all COVID cases confirmed to date have been reported in the last two weeks. Joining us now from HSEHQ is Virgin Media news reporter Paul Quinn. Paul, continuing concern over the hospitalizations and that dramatic new information from Enfit tonight about recent deaths and the extent of the virus spreading in the community. Just tell us a little bit about the dramatic impact of the last couple of weeks. Yeah, good evening, Matt. Yeah, I think we talk a lot about numbers and figures every single day, but the information that we got from Neffet this evening really putting things into perspective. Uh, Neffet telling us that over the last two weeks that one in 67 of us have got a COVID-19. Now, in the last fortnight, there's been just over 71,000 cases. And when you take into account all of the confirmed cases since the pandemic began back on the 29th of February last year, uh, that's almost half of all of those cases, some 44% have occurred in the last two weeks alone. So it's quite staggering the rate of the virus over the last couple of weeks here uh, in Ireland. Now, we also got some further information this evening from the chief medical officer in relation to the 208 deaths that have occurred uh, this month so far. Uh, the people that have died uh, ranging in the ages between 25 and 98. We heard that 23 of them were linked to outbreaks in hospitals and 38 in nursing homes. Now, this evening we also uh, reported that there's been a further 28 deaths and 3,955 new cases. Now, as you say, the situation in the hospitals also remaining quite volatile, as the HSE boss Paul Reid called it today. He said it's now a race to save lives, and he said in some instances that the teams on the, uh, the front line, they may not be able to save everyone's life. He said the health system is now in the midst of its greatest ever challenge. Taking a look at the situation 
situation in hospitals this evening. Currently 1,792 patients in hospital with confirmed COVID-19. 173 of them are in the ICU. Now, despite all of that, uh, the uh, National Public Health Emergency Team this evening saying that there is some uh, cause for optimism. We've seen the OR number. It's now somewhere between 1 and 1 1.3. Uh, the positivity rate is continuing to fall. They say we are starting to turn a corner, but there's still a long way to go. Which is good news. And has there been good news about the pace of rollout of vaccinations? Yeah, I think the HSE today is saying that things really are starting to ramp up. Now, so far, Ireland has received just over 152,000 doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech um, vaccine and around 3,600 of Moderna. Uh, now, today, Paul Reid saying that so far, just over 77,300 doses have been administered, some 70,000 to frontline healthcare workers and the rest to residents in long-term uh, residential facilities. They're hoping to ramp that up to around 100,000 by this Sunday and they've also around 4,000 people now trained up to give the vaccine. But the Thonish Lee of Radker um, in the Dáil earlier on today saying that if the AstraZeneca vaccine is, as expected, is approved at the end of this month in just two weeks' time, that that could see uh, vaccinations uh, double between 50,000 up to 100,000 a week by February and we could see all adults uh, in Ireland vaccinated by September. Of course, he also was saying today the potential that businesses may have to prepare for being shut until at least the end of March. But he also spoke about his desire that is shared in Cabinet to get the schools back by the 1st of February. So what's been said about that? Yeah, well, look, I suppose the first good thing that was uh, um, said about schools today was the fact that there's now, uh, it looks like uh, special schools and classes for uh, some 18,000 children, young adults with special needs, is due to reopen uh, next Thursday. And I know the uh, groups representing those people have, are extremely happy about that. They've lobbied hard uh, with the minister and with the government to try and see uh, that those um, children with special needs could go back to in-person teaching. Um, but, of course, the, the reopening of schools is still very much up in the air whether or not it will happen on the 1st of February. Uh, today also on the agenda, Matt, of course, the Leaving Cert. What's going to happen with that? Uh, Leaving Cert students themselves making their voices uh, particularly uh, heard over recent days, particularly on social media, calling for the Leaving Cert to be cancelled. They want to see predicted grades and a choice of sitting an exam at a later date. Uh, the Education Minister today has also faced calls from opposition, some within her own party too, for the Leaving Cert to be cancelled and to give more clarity. But uh, normally Foley is holding firm that she wants to see a traditional exam go ahead in June and she's been backed up by the unions as well. Now the advisory group to look at this, the exam advisory group, is due to meet tomorrow but it's unlikely there'll be any further decisions so early. Paul Quinn, thank you very much for joining us. And we're joined now by Fine Gael TD Colin Burke and by Aoife McLeisa, Professor of Genetics at Trinity College Dublin. But first, INMO General Secretary Phil Nihay joins us via Skype. Phil, your organisation has called this a national crisis. Can you give us an overview, please, of the situation facing doctors and nurses across the country in our hospitals tonight? Well, um, it is a national crisis, un undoubtedly. And uh, tonight, there are many of our members who are changing roles and working to assist intensive care units. So, for example, our ICU capacity is now very, very stretched. And when we talk about surging up, what that means is nurses from other locations come in to assist and they open additional beds, for example, in theatre departments and recovery rooms. That's happening all over the country. 
it's very uh, difficult. The training that is required can't be delivered in this time. So the ICU staff are under pressure to both be the supervisor and also look after ICU patients. So there's a lot going on in our hospitals right now that puts huge, huge pressure on our staff when they're at work. In addition to this, many of our members and uh, the patient-facing groups, particularly nurses, midwives, healthcare assistants, we know now from the figures that they're the group that are getting COVID infections themselves. They're the highest categories, the staff that are facing patients. And then the rosters become depleted. So we have a double whammy of we're short staff to begin with in the health service. We have a pandemic. Our members and the staff that we need to keep beds open are getting sick themselves. And then we have additional pressures because schools are closed and many, and the majority of these workers are women and they have childcare needs and there is no provision, there is no alternative provided to them. They want to be at work. They want to, to absolutely help their colleagues. They know the strain that hospitals and community care areas are under right now and they need more support in the area of childcare particularly. It sounds like a perfect storm, Phil. Has it in any way been alleviated by the rollout of vaccinations or how many of your members have received their vaccines by now? It is uh, definitely very, very hopeful. And, and the staff who have received their vaccine, vaccine are delighted. They said it's the first bit of good news and the first bit of light at the end of the tunnel that they've experienced. However, they are critical of how the programme has been managed. For example, our members in Letterkenny have been extraordinarily critical of how it was managed in their hospital, considering they're a hospital that borders Derry, where we had huge, hugely high incidences before Christmas. We should have been prioritising and planning to prioritise areas where we know the healthcare worker infection rate is high, where the infection rate is high in the community. And our members are saying that didn't happen. So the vaccine is being rolled out, is being prioritised. We now have agreement with the HSE. The um, health sector unions and the HSE have reached an agreement that there is absolutely no doubt but that the patient-facing workforce must be prioritised in respect of the vaccine. Our problem is going to be supply and our problem is going to be decisions that are going to be made in respect of how that supply is distributed. So, for example, I have statistics today in respect of the healthcare workforce and the infection rate. And these figures show that amongst the healthcare workers who are infected, the majority, unfortunately, are women, and the median age is about 49. The report states that that's possibly because groups such as nurses are getting infected at such a high rate, and they're predominantly women, as are healthcare assistants. So we know we have to target our vaccines in relation to the groups that are becoming infected at this rate because it's too high. So, for example, in, in a fortnight, we've now had just over 5,000 healthcare workers infected. That's extraordinary. And the only thing that will prevent and that will keep our beds open is to ensure that whatever vaccine we get into Ireland is prioritised for frontline healthcare workers, nurses, midwives, healthcare assistants particularly, because they're the groups that are actually getting infected 
to a level that is just unacceptable. Phil, has the vaccine been going? You mentioned Donegal, but the rest of the country, how well has the distribution been going outside of the major urban areas? Well, there have been vac vaccination in, in many of the hospitals. Cork, for example, spent a whole weekend uh, vaccinating staff. St. Vincent's Hospital in Dublin report today that they have vaccinated practically all of their nursing staff. But it depends on the supply. 35,000 vaccines is not going to vaccinate all of our frontline healthcare workers. So we have to ensure that the distribution is measured to completely cover all those that we need to be at work in our frontline public hospitals. Because clearly that's where this uh, virus is now taking a massive hold. Okay. When you see 5,000 healthcare workers being absent. Aoife McLeisa, we were warned that there would be another wave. But could anyone have expected it to be as bad as it actually has been? This shocking figure that 44% of all of our confirmed cases since last March have come in the last two weeks. I mean, it is a shocking figure and I think it's important that we remain shocked by that and don't get used to it. I mean, we did predict a very deep crisis in December because we opened up again when the numbers were still high, when we still had about 40% what's so-called community transmission, which are basically mystery cases. It's ind indicative of the, the virus being out of control in the community. Um, you know, in the Independent Scientific Advocacy Group, for example, we predicted 4,500 cases by early January, which would have been a very deep crisis of a similar nature, but it has been extremely bad, and I think we're in a very bad situation. And the thing we have to do now is think about how do we get out of this situation and stay out of it, because there is a way to get back out of the situation and to, to make this lockdown our last. Yeah, the lockdown that we have at present, is it actually restricted enough and tight enough? Because already we're talking about the schools going back on yeah. the 1st of February. It's possibly not. One indicator of that is the traffic levels. So the traffic levels are similar to they were, what they were in March. And uh, March last year, just around about the time the schools were closed for the first time. And we know we have this new B117, the so-called UK variant at the moment, which is more transmissible. And that higher transmissib transmissibility essentially amounts to that the same behaviours are not as effective as they were last year. So what behaviours do you think do we need now? Well, we just, well, it's the same idea that we have to reduce um, movement of people, but the, an equivalent reduction is not as effective this time. So the the thing we need to do is the same all the time. The virus doesn't have legs. It only walks around with people walking around. So if everybody who really can stay at home stays at home, that's going to be very powerful. And the stricter the lockdown is, the shorter it can be. It's going to be more powerful more quickly, the shorter it is. We are seeing some reductions now in the numbers, and that's encouraging. It's probably related to the most extreme spike being around Christmas Day, in the few days around Christmas Day. But we have a general increase that happened throughout December until the lockdown came in, and we have to really get that down. We shouldn't be lulled into a false sense of security that the current measures, measures are more effective and than they are. And can the schools open on the 1st of February, in your view, if we're going to achieve uh, locking this down? Um, I think that's it's not a, it's not a given that the schools can open or should stay closed. I think it's something to be considered. I think it is important to consider the educational needs as well, and we make these prioritisation decisions. So it is something that could be considered. I think it'll it'll depend on the case numbers in the community at the time, and also the ventilation in the schools is something that's very important to be considered. Colin Burke, is anyone in government, do you think, be at a senior level or even a backbencher like yourself, going to? put up the hands and say, we got it wrong in December. 
Well, I think we uh, faced into a situation at the end of November where there was a fatigue there and that people, in fairness, strict, uh, took strictly to the rules and you know we were the lowest in Europe, and I think there was a complacency then arose, and complacency the main, in government is it? Complacency right around the entire country, in the sense of there was a huge change in that we were coming into Christmas. There was a view that we needed to open up somewhat, but that there would be sufficient restrictions there. And if you could take, for instance, I had someone who met a friend for a cup of coffee. She was a junior doctor. And she was very much aware of all of the issues in relation to compliance. She fully complied, but she contracted COVID as a result of meeting that one friend. And as a result of she meeting that one friend, the friend didn't know she had COVID. Seven other junior doctors came down with COVID. Yeah, but, that but was 12 people. I, but know, just, I, know, I know nobody in government wants just, to concede that you got just, it wrong and that you were reacting to sort of the public well, I, I mood think, that think, people wanted to open up. But wasn't yeah. there another issue that when you failed to show leadership in relation to this, that people felt that they had permission to well, take chances? Well, I think in fairness, the, the final restrictions weren't lifted until the 18th of December. Um, and I think we waited until the very end. But yes, in fairness, we have a situation where the viruses now can be transmitted far easier, and that arose at the same time as some of the restrictions um, were lifted. And it did what they, there were a number of issues that contributed. There was more people meeting up, people that they hadn't met for numbers. Uh, you see, for instead a of making of excuses for no, the I'm failures in December, there, would it not be better to get people to buy into what needs to be done now to admit that what but, was done in it, December was but wrong? But I think in, people have bought into what's been done now because if you look at the number of people who, um, in the period, the seven-day period up to the fourth of January, uh, people who identified positive were able to identify that they were in close contact with six people. The most recent figures show that people who were identified positive are, uh, on average, identified as being in close contact with three people. So there, that change has occurred. If now, three people... Is that the three, case? Are three, people behaving better? No, no, three people is still too much. I think people are behaving better, but I think we just have to unpick a few things that were said just there. So by the 18th of December, it was already clear that the cases were increasing dramatically. So you could see the increase that started when retail was opened. You can see an uptick that happens at the appropriate, you know, a few days later, another uptick when hospitality was open. So before the household visits happened at all, there was already a crisis that was... Enough evidence to roll back on the promise that had been made. Yes. But well, we, we had a press release a couple of days after that because we analysed the data and we were very, very concerned. So we have members in the Independent Scientific Advocacy Group, ex excellent epidemiologists and public health doctors. And they were saying with this and with the emergence of the new strain, which at that point was in Ireland, but it was not causing the increase because as we just heard, people had more contacts at that time. That explains the increase. But these epidemiologists like Professor Jerry Colleen in UCC, he said for the the first time since March, she was seriously scared by this pandemic and worried about if it's even containable anymore. We're now convinced it can be contained. We can look forward to a good future for 2021. We don't have to spend it in rolling lockdowns again, but we do need to learn from the mistakes. We can forgive people for making a mistake. It's harder to forgive people for not learning from those mistakes. We're going to end up in the same conversation in a few weeks again because people are going to be tired of lockdown. Of course they are. Lockdown is annoying. It's awful. We all hate it. We're going to ask, when is the right time to come out of lockdown. We need to have a strategy to come out of lockdown. We need to have criteria, not just that we're exhausted. In the uh, beginning of December, we had a target. There was a government target to get to 100 cases a day. They didn't arrive at the target, but they opened up anyway because they're tired of lockdown. We can't make that mistake again. 
But one example I had of a person who contracted COVID, he had to ring 52 people that he was in close contact with before Christmas, which was outrageous that despite the guidelines that were there, that we, you know, we unfortunately complacency did arise. And yes, the, the new variant, we've now identified that up to 50% who are identifying positive, the new variant is involved. So we need now to make sure that there is full compliance and we need to make sure that we so get the message out the there. you're blaming people rather than blaming no, no, the government. No, I'm not blaming you. I think it's a combination of everything. Like, let's not, let's not blame any one group. Remember, we had a lot of people who came in from abroad. Um, we also You had, let them in from abroad. I mean, you're a member we, of the government party, Finnegan. You made people, a decision people, not to actually stop people coming in, but just to ask but, them, would you please mind not coming in? And if you do come in, would you just make no, sure no, you self-isolate for two weeks? There was a combination of issues in, in respect of... There was a lot more social gatherings. There were people from abroad. There was, uh, uh, I suppose, an air of complacency. But we also and it was had, all utterly we, we predictable, also, and what you did was also, ask people not to do it. We also had the variant, and I gave the example of one person having a cup of coffee and 12 people ended up having to... OK, well, I want to go back to, to Phil Nihay. Phil, what would you ask people who are watching tonight to do to try and help alleviate the crisis in our hospitals? I think we need to all work together to put pressure on government to open up all of the available healthcare facilities, the private hospitals, and I'd like to ask Colm that. I mean, what is the point of having a, a health service with a slant to care report that says we should have a, a, a single tier health service? And right now, the public service is battling the pandemic. Well, we, we have a situation, we have come to an agreement with, I think, 17 of the 18 hospitals where there is capacity going to be provided and that we're not going to have a situation like what happened the last time where we uh, agreed to um, a payment to the private hospital sector and didn't use it up fully. Now we have a better agreement and we will have availability of, uh, of, of beds which are extremely important. And I think that's, that's what we need to do. We need, and yes, if it's a situation that we need to review this in a week's time or two weeks' time, then let's do that review. Okay, very briefly, Aoife, have you any hope to offer us on the basis of the vaccine? <clears throat> do you have a time frame when this will all end for us? Well, I think the vaccine rollout we anticipate, I mean, the, the information that's come out is that um, the non-priority people, so ordinary people like us, I suppose, will be vaccinated by October. But I think the hope that we can offer is that we can do other things. Vaccine is a part of a toolkit. We have to use the rest of the toolkit. We have to get the numbers down low, resource public health. We have to quarantine international travellers to turn off the supply. And then we can spend the rest of this year in a much more comfortable level. We can get our lives back again. And Hopefully. I think, Matt, Matt in relation to South Infirmary uh, at the weekend, 1,200 people got vaccinated as a result of 14 people, healthcare people, uh, agreeing to work voluntary. 1,200 people in two days, and it's a huge effort by them and by healthcare people right around the country. There are many people doing that. OK, we leave it there for that topic. Our thanks to Professor Aoife McLeisa. Colin Burke is staying with us because after the break, with calls for restitution, we'll be asking how can we legislate for the survivors of mother and baby homes for access to information. And later we'll have more on the news of a staggered return to school for children with additional needs. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to Finnegale TD. Colin Burke has stayed with us, but we're also joined by Social Democrats TD Holly Kearns and by Dr. Laura Cahalan, who is Senior Law Lecturer at the University of Limerick, who joins us via Skype. Laura, the Commission of Investigation into the Mother and Baby Homes recommended a referendum on the right to access birth certificates, something that wasn't promised by the government yesterday. Is that a measure which should be brought in? Oh, and apparently we have lost Laura via Skype. Colin Burke, why hasn't the government gone for that option of a referendum? I'm not in the inner circle, so I'm not aware of why that decision was arrived at. The Supreme Court, I think, in 1978 gave a decision about, you know, the right to um, the uh, to identify your origins and the right to privacy and that each one of them um, has... Um, can be... Um, so the right to privacy is on the part of the birth mother? On, on the part of the birth mother, and I think that's where the Supreme Court more or less gave um, a view that one can uh, be in conflict with the other, and I think it's 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 one of the issues that it's not straightforward. Um, but does and, that necessarily need a constitutional change, or is that something that can be well, done through legislation? I think the, there is a view that legally, and I'm not, I suppose, as familiar with the law in this whole area, um, but my understanding is that it may very well require a constitutional change if you wanted to change the law on that. But there, remember that there's a huge number of birth mothers who are now in their 70s and 80s who um, would have difficulty with the law being changed. And at the same time, there's a huge number of people who want to find their birth mothers. They want to find details of um, their birth and they need that information. So there is a difficulty. And in fairness, the government gave a commitment that they would bring forward legislation um, and that they would work with the various groups involved in this area. And it is a very difficult area for any, everyone involved, in particular uh, for the children who had to who don't have the knowledge and don't have the information that um, they should be uh, that, that you should be getting. Holly, it struck me that over the last 48 hours, an awful lot of what we've been talking about has been about connecting people, connecting people who are still living, or and sometimes connecting information for the living to the dead. Surely something needs to be done, has been done in other jurisdictions, to make this easier while still respecting those who might want a right to privacy. Yeah, well, Ireland is very unique in a European and even in a global context in that it's very difficult to access your own personal data, particularly in relation to your birth certificate and for adopted people. And Colin, you referenced the right to privacy, and I think that's for a very long time and for too long 
been used as an excuse to deny people the right to their own personal information and access their own personal data. And we're talking about information like, what is my name? So it's no small thing that we're talking about. And I think it's time that excuse was stopped, used, stopped being used. We, no, sorry, I didn't yeah. interrupt you, Colm. Yeah. Um, in fairness, I think what the, the nation feels at the moment, what a lot of the nation feels, is that the response from government is not proportionate to the magnitude of the crimes that were exposed in the Commission of Investigations report. We could see so much more than saying, perhaps we'll introduce legislation within the next year. That's an, another exercise in kicking the can down the road when this has gone on for decades and decades and decades, government after government after government. We've gone from the first apology column in 96, we've gone through uh, the, the Ryan report, the McAleese report, uh, the, the Cloyne report, the Ferns, Ferns report, the list goes on. And we've seen state apology after state apology and they are welcome and they are necessary, but they are the bare minimum. And the only reason that this commission of investigation was even formed is because of the discovery of six, over 600 dead babies in a misused septic tank in Tume. That's what forced government to form this commission. If they were actually serious about providing real redress and justice for survivors, they would have done that rather than be forced to form a commission. And this commission was not to provide justice. This was to tell a story. So what we need to see now and what people need and want to see from government is a response that is proportionate to the magnitude of those crimes. Yeah. People need compensation, proportional to the gravity, like I said, of the violations and harm suffered, rehabilitation, including medical, psychological care and legal and social services, unfettered access to information um, and archives in order to establish the facts about people who are still disappeared and we don't know their whereabouts. Um, one more, th in relation to the things that still need to be done and have not been done, commemorations and tributes, and, in, and the inclusion of an accurate account of what happened to these people in our education systems, and most importantly, sanctions against the individuals who committed these crimes. None of that is being done. And Matt, sorry to, 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 to keep going, but in fairness, the, the apology is welcome and it is the bare minimum, but it is decades too late. And now we're hearing things like, and we've seen this play out in very recent history with the, 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 the justice for Magdalene laundries, it still hasn't happened. And we're talking about how many times has Roderick O'Gorman said this week, we'll, we'll give medical cards to people who are in the institutions for longer than six months. What if you're in an institution for five months? What if you're in, a, in an institution that wasn't one of the institutions that was examined under this commission? How is this a real attempt to provide justice for people? In reality, these sites where there's mass graves of dead babies, disappeared children, they should be cornered off as, well, let's as give Colin for criminal investigation. Yeah. The government set up over five years ago the commission to do a very detailed examination. They've spent five years putting, making sure that we got all the facts and all of the information together. We've produced a very comprehensive report, and the government have given a commitment that they will examine the whole issue now in relation to legislation to allow the access to as much information as possible. And if during that review over the next, and we gave a commitment that the legislation would be put in place within the next 12 months, that <clears throat> we would need to carefully consider each and every part of the recommendations of the report, implement them at the earliest possible date, but work with people from both sides, from both sides. And you know, the, there's the birth parents where in some cases, they would prefer if the information wasn't disclosed, and we need to work with them as well. 
but we also need to work in particular with the children, the people who were born in these uh, facilities where they weren't, um, where the state uh, passed on its responsibility to the church, where all of the political parties, and you, can, you can't avoid issue, the political parties were also yeah, but washed their Colin, hands. I want to put issue. to you what I also put to Anne <clears throat> Abbott of Fianna Fáil, who's the junior minister in the relevant department, what I said to her on the programme last night, and it echoes what, a lot of what Holly has just said. We have had report after report in recent decades, apology after apology, promise after promise, and yet, realistically, very few of those promises were ever acted upon. But Why will this because, be any different? <clears throat> because there is a commitment by government to make sure, because this is the most comprehensive report. But you're already put. pulling back and saying, <clears throat> well, no, we no, can't no, no, do we're, that. We're, commitment we're saying, after commitment no, no, after Holly, commitment by giving, successive governments giving, and another one we now. Have, we are giving, we've made it quite clear, this is a very comprehensive report. It took five years to complete. There are clear recommendations in it. And now, which but one is for a referendum, which, which you're not going to go for? No, but that's not off the table yet, as far as I'm concerned. There's not one single not, access to justice not, recommendation in that not, report, Colm. Sorry, there, can I come in now? One because second, Hollywood. Sorry, no, in fairness, no, I didn't interrupt you. I didn't interrupt, in, didn't interrupt you. We gave... Uh, there is clear recommendations in this report. The government have, have examined it very carefully. They have to work out and work with the various groups in it to make sure who are affected by it, to see if we can bring forward the necessary legislation to make as much information available as possible. There may not possible. be a lot of time with the age of a lot of people involved. No, no, Holly, exactly, and that's why this? there has to be a commitment that it's done within the 12 months. Holly. So you say government did this, um, carried out this investigation as if there's, there's some credit due to them. Like I said, they were forced to do this when Catherine Corliss discovered the mass baby grave in Toome. So there's no credit due to government for forming a commission. In addition to that, the commission wasn't set up in a way that survivors pleaded for, for it to be done um, in line with human rights law, uh, international and European. Um, you also say the government has given a commitment to provide access to information. All of the GDPR experts, the law experts in that field are saying that European law supersedes Irish law and that people have the right to access their own personal data. But there's been a refusal to but, acknowledge that. But in that. fairness, Holly, we are no. saying quite clearly, we're quite clearly that we are going to consult with all... What of is the, becoming clear no, 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 to but, everybody no, 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 but is that's, that this that's is another state apology that isn't being followed up it is, with the it is being accurate followed up amount because of action. In fairness no, I'm to sorry. The, in, it is I being followed with, up. with the Taoiseach a, a few months ago uh, the issue around a before planning application was, before, before, the report, the, before the report was before published, before when that legislation was being rushed through the doll, and that goes to show how quickly you can rush through legislation when you want to. But this might take up to a year. However, because you rushed through this need, legislation in relation to mother to and baby homes. I raised with, with Hall in advance of that the to, issue around a planning application going in for a social housing sides. development on a site in Besborough and Cork, where we now know that there's eight, potentially 859 babies buried. I raised it with Hall a couple of months ago and said, this simply can't happen. Can you please assure people that it won't happen? He fobbed and me off as if I was being ridiculous, as if to say, how could the government intervene with onboard planola and something like this? Don't be ridiculous, was the, very much the narrative around it. I asked him again yesterday, since this report is being published, now that the, the, the nation is watching, and his response was very different, but it was still, this shouldn't happen. I'm deeply concerned about it. Not the, the, the normal, the, the thing that people expect to happen at this point is to say, we will introduce a compulsory purchase order to ensure that no housing development goes ahead on a mass baby grave in a mother and baby institution. These are the actions 
that would be proportionate to the magnitude of can the I, crimes committed? Because I, no, okay, let, the let ecology Colin reply, Colin, please, okay, just to finish the section. Yeah, Colin. can I? In relation to Besborough, I think there is a view there that there shouldn't be a housing development on it because a there view. is the, there. Well, it's a personal view that I have. I'm saying that we now need to work to make sure that the development that's there does not proceed because there is clear evidence now that there were babies buried there. Um, we there was have clear evidence, evidence before that. So why hasn't there been a compulsory we have now, purchase order introduced? Because we, why know, the inaction? We, know, we now have a comprehensive report. Which it's been known published, for ages. We don't modern. need a comprehensive report but to tell you that we, we shouldn't the, grant planning permission for a social have, housing development I, on a mass baby grave. We have a comprehensive report which is setting out clear recommendations. It took five years to get all of the information together and produce something that can now be acted upon. Okay. And we put it in place... It took five years and it was decades too late. All right. Absolutely. If Absolutely. I can just ask you for a second. If you have been affected by the issues raised in our discussion tonight, you can contact the HSE's National Counselling Service on this helpline number, 1-800-817-517. Colin Burke and Holly Kearns are staying with us. After the break, we'll get the reaction from one parent of a child with additional needs on the news of a return to the classroom from next week. Welcome back. Well, the Fine Gael TD, Colin Burke and Holly Kearns of the Social Democrats are still with us. But we're also joined now via Skype by Angelina Hines. Angelina, I know that uh, Kira spoke to you earlier this week. Your daughter Zoe has additional needs. So what do you make of today's news of a staggered return to the classroom? Well, Matt, I suppose myself and Rosedale Parents Association, we cautiously welcome the announcement that was made today by the Minister for Education. However, for us, we believe that all special education schools that cater for children with severe to profound intellectual disabilities, as our school does, needs to be classified as an essential service and the staff need to be considered as frontline workers. So that without they, the structure of... Sorry, so that they the would get vaccinated and your children be vaccinated as well, perhaps? Okay, unfortunately, I think we have lost that connection. We're not having good luck tonight, unfortunately, with the connections. We will try and get back to Angelina. How can these not actually be um, essential services, these schools? Well, we're, we're rolling out the vaccine and the, there was a recommendation from an advisory group to the government about the rollout and where it would arise as regards the, the, the um, list. I mean, the people in nursing homes are priority then we have the frontline people in the healthcare sector, um, nurses, doctors, uh, healthcare assistants. Um, and this is obviously something that needs to be now looked at. Sorry, and I clearly, do believe clearly the government regards this as an essential service, or else there wouldn't have been such a pressure to get these schools reopened they, again. Was, if it is an essential service at that, and given the vulnerabilities that many of these children might have as well to the illness, and the fact that they're in close proximity with their teachers, would that not suggest that as you've deemed it, in a sense, an essential service, it should be treated that way? Absolutely, but the, there was an advisory group to the government that gave advice, and this is obviously something that now needs to be reviewed because I think in fairness to parents with children with, uh, you know, who have to, uh, where they're going to uh, schools for, uh, for these children, that they 
are properly um, catered for. And I think this is something that needs to be reviewed. Holly, this is a difficult balance, I'd imagine, because obviously these children, from what we're hearing, do need the care and attention that they get and the schooling and can actually regress if they don't get this. But at the same time, there have to be concerns for them and for those who do the teaching. So how is that balance going to be met? Yeah, and clearly I think government were unprepared and it's very welcome that there's a pathway back to education for these students. And we do welcome that. But I suppose the difference between this lockdown and the first one is that we've had eight months to prepare for it. And I think we really learned a lot in that first lockdown and um, certainly spoke to a lot of students who felt that in, you know, in relation to people with disabilities, they felt that they're, um, you know, that not being in education, their needs weren't being met, it affected their physical and their medical and, and their mental health. Um, that, you know, we knew this needed to pri be prioritised this time. We know that also from educators, um, from people with disabilities, their families, their carers. Um, and unfortunately, it, it wasn't taken into consideration, obviously enough. And I think when the announcement was made that they would be going back in the previous week, all of the schools that I spoke to, even this week my office been in touch with lots of schools and in Castletown Bear, they were ready. They understand and recognise the needs of their students and they wanted a return to education for those students. There's also a difference often in terms of the ratio of student to teacher in these classes. Um, it's much lower and that makes it much safer. And of course it has to be done safely. Understandably there's concerns and I think particularly in relation to school transport now. Um, like I said, it's very welcome that the announcement has been made that there will be a return to these classes, but we also need to look at the transport and how that will be facilitated in a safe way. Okay, now hopefully we will get Angelina back. If we don't, though, I, I want to talk to you about the leaving certificate because this is another thing which perhaps seems to be catching people on the hop. How could it, given that we went through the whole situation last year of delaying the exams, then cancelling the sitting, sitting exams and deciding to have the calculated grades. A lot of concern about that. Here we are in January 2021 and suddenly there's a crisis as to what actually gets done. Well, the Minister outlined quite clearly today that there is an advisory group which is made up of the unions, both are from her, people from our own department, uh, students and parents. And that advisory group the minister is relying on in coming to a decision, I think it's too early yet to make a decision on that issue. I think the, the next three weeks in this country are extremely important as regards getting the virus under control. We've major challenges in our health service. We've got to deal with those. And we've got to bring the virus under control. Your, your party then, leader, Tony Leo Varadkar, told need, me on radio tonight we, that he hopes the schools will be open again on the 1st of February. Is that realistic, given but, all the things we've been talking an about tonight? Will depend, an awful lot will depend on the challenges that we still face in two weeks' time in relation to the virus. We need to make sure that we, we continue. We have turned the corner on this in relation to the virus. The biggest problem at the moment is that if you look at the number of people who've identified positive over the last um, two weeks, it's around 71,000. Uh, roughly around 50 out of every 1,000 will end up in hospital. And if you take a, a, of every 50 going into hospital, 10% of that group will end up in ICU. Okay, Holly, so there that are major sounds like a good argument for not letting the schools go back on the 1st of February, which would mean that the students for this year's Leaving Cert would have been working from home for three months of fifth year and now for at least three weeks and possibly a lot more in their final year. So what should be done in relation to the Leaving Cert for them? 
I think the most important thing that can be done at this point is to engage with students and find out from them what the best option is. It's the only way that we can do this. And you talk about the advisory group being set up. I think it should have been done a long time ago and there should have been more engagement with students. Even I had an Instagram message from a Leaving Cert student this week suggesting an option of, you know, people doing their, their three best subjects, for example, or their three favourites. You know, I'm not saying that's the solution. I'm saying... People are coming up with ideas all the time. We need to listen but to them. We need to engage with students. don't you have to take, as well as taking the students into consideration, don't you also have to hear from the parents and from the unions Absolutely. and from the teachers as well? And, yeah, and I just think Colin referenced the, the advisory is, group and I just and think the students need to be involved. the advisory group is there where the unions are involved and um, I think it's too early at this stage to make a decision on this matter. The Minister has quite clear what she outlined today and I think it's been carefully managed with in consultation with all of the people involved. Okay. Listen, we actually do have Angelina Hines back at present, so thank you very much for coming back mm -hmm. to us. And I was just asking you about the whole issue of vaccinations for children who are in these schools. What about your own daughter? What age is she and does she need a vaccination? My daughter is nine, Matt, and she has a syndrome called Pitt-Hopkins syndrome. So in Zoe's case, she doesn't have any medical issues. So the vaccination isn't an issue for her. Um, and I do think vaccinations are necessary, but until we're called an essential service and the staff are essential workers, I think they're a long way down the pecking order when it comes to a vaccination. So we, will, we are going to have a meeting with Minister Foley in the next few weeks. I was speaking to her this evening. Um, and, and this has to be raised. So, so the staff and these schools have to go up the pecking order. I mean, it's so unfair on our children. Without the structure of school, they have significant loss of learning. They develop significant behavioural issues. There's serious levels of regression. And it happens almost as quickly as the schools close. And for us as parents, our fear is that the next time a crisis happens, our voiceless children will be forgotten about again. So you've been talking to Nora Foley. What are you asking for and what sort of assurances are you getting about how quickly and effectively the schools can be reopened? Well, I suppose I, did, I, I didn't get a whole lot in. I did get a sense that they are really working really hard to get the schools open for next week. She said that all the parties are fully committed and she said that there's generous, generous agreement among all the parties and stakeholders to get the schools open next week. But Matt, last Thursday I was on the Irish Times quoted as saying I was ecstatic the schools were reopening. The rug was pulled from under our feet a few hours later. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When she made the announcement that schools would be closed. So until my daughter is sitting in her classroom next Thursday, I don't believe it's happening. Angelina, thank you very much for joining us here on The Tonight Show. So, Colin, any assurances? I think it's something that has to be looked at carefully. I think parents... But it's not looking at things carefully, no, 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 it's no, actions, no, but, but, surely. Uh, yes, but it's about making sure that we have sufficient vaccines coming in to deal with all the demands that are there. And in fairness to parents, 
where they have children with special needs, it is a full-time 24-7 job and they need to get support. And I think this is one way of giving that support. Number one, opening the schools, but making sure that all of the, uh, the requirements are followed through and making sure that every one of those schools can reopen. Very briefly, Holly. I think this pandemic has shone a light on a lot of issues that were already existing and certainly the treatment of people with disabilities is one of them. Um, Ireland as a country still hasn't ratified the optional protocol on the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. So as a person with a disability in Ireland, you can't even exercise your own rights. And, you know, that, that this has transpired. OK, thank you very much. That is all we have time for tonight. Our thanks to Holly Kearns, Colin Burke and Angelina Hines. I'll be back on radio tomorrow afternoon and back here next Monday night at 10 o'clock. For now, good night, stay safe and stay home. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.